Well, good morning, LifePoint. It is so good to be with you all this morning. Uh, we get to gather together and we get to worship the Lord. And friends, I know I say this every week, but that is something to be excited about. So I hope you're excited. I'm excited. Uh, and if you're new here joining us today, whether you are in the auditorium, maybe you're watching online, one, I'm really glad that you are joining us. Uh, my name is Pastor Adam. Uh, I would love to get to meet you. I'd love to get to start a conversation with you. So come say hi. Uh, but if you are new, I highly encourage you to text the word welcome to the number on the screen. It's 406-219-0314. And you follow the prompts. And this is a really great tool for you know us to get to know you. You get to know us a little bit better. We get to start up that conversation. get to start up that relationship. And friends, that's something we want to be doing here at LifePoint. We want to be building relationships. We want to be building a relationship with God, but also be building relationships with one another. So I highly encourage you to text welcome to that number. Um, also, there are many ways and opportunities to serve here at LifePoint. Many areas of ministry need help. We need you know, volunteers. Um, and if you are interested in serving, I highly encourage you to go out to this uh, wall in this hallway. You'll see the Connect Point wall with a bunch of different areas of ministry. Um, I mean, we need help in host team, kids, toddlers, worship, youth, tech. Um, so we want, to, we want you to serve where you're gifted. So highly encourage you to go take a look at that wall, pray about it, find what would be a good fit, and join a serve team. You can also go to lifepointmt.org serve and fill out a serve application there. Uh, but if you got your Bibles this morning, open them up to the book of James, chapter 2. We are finally in chapter two of the book of James. Because <laughs> what? We've been in James chapter one for, I mean, well, well over a month. Uh, and finally, I'm excited we're coming into James chapter two. Uh, but that goes to show like how much content, how much meat is in the book of James. I mean, the, 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 this letter is only uh, a few pages long, but I mean, it's going to take us a long time to get through it. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, it is very important to remember uh, not just when we're in the book of James, but really when we're in any New Testament letter, uh, to remember that when the author wrote it, there were no chapters dividing it. There were no verses separating it. I mean, it's very important to keep in mind that, that when they wrote it, this was just one fluid letter. And, and keep this in mind, because it's going to be important to keep in mind with what James has already said, because it's going to help us understand where he's going in the future. And last week, Pastor John took a look at the ending of chapter one of the book of James. And I hope something that we're like beginning to see here with James is he doesn't really care too much about your feelings. Um, James is pretty blunt. Like he's going to call things out and he's going to point things out pretty bluntly. Uh, and James can be a really hard book to get through because some of the areas that he talks about, a lot of us struggle with. You know, but James continuously speaks on this idea of spiritual maturity, growing to look more and more like Christ. And this is like the theme of, of this whole letter. Uh, you know, he doesn't really necessarily talk about what we believe, but rather, how do we live? Like, if we say we have faith, what does that look like? So it's this idea of spiritual maturity. Because those whose life has been touched by Jesus will see the world differently. I mean, if our life has been touched by Jesus, like, it's going to change the way that we live. And, and friend, your life should not look the same as your life before you knew Christ. Like, you should see a change. And let's say you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Like, your life a year ago should look different than your life now. 
It's this process of spiritual maturity one step at a time. We should look different. Whether that's the things that we do or the things that we say or, or how we view things. Like, it should look different. And I want to be very clear on this. You know, what we do and, and what we say and how we view things are not going to merit salvation. Like, that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is a free gift from God. Like, like hear me on this. Like, no good thing that you ever do will ever merit salvation. It is a free gift from God. So, so the good things that we do are not the cause for salvation, but rather the effect of salvation. You know, and this is what, what James is going to talk about. Like, I live my life not like this not to be saved. It's I live my life like this because I'm saved. It's this, this process of spiritual maturity. Because someone who has genuine faith, like, it will change the way that you live. You will see the world differently. And I mean, James, at the end of chapter 1, in verse 26... He says, for those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. So in other words, James is in essence saying, like, you say that Jesus is the Lord of your life, is he the Lord of your mouth? Like, you say your life has been changed by Christ, has he changed the words that you speak? Have you noticed a change in this area? And James finished chapter one by saying, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. So keep this in mind as we're coming into chapter two, because James is going to be asking the question, has Christ changed your mind? Has Christ changed the way that you view people? Or is our mind polluted by the world? Because I know this can be hard. A Christ follower is to be in the world, but not of the world. A Christ follower's life should look different than those around them in the world. So James is going to kind of like come into this and he's going to bring up the, the folly of favoritism, the problem of favoritism. And this leads into the bottom line this morning. That one thing that I want to get at, that one thing I want us leaving with, the one thing I want us to come to the realization of is who you are matters more than what you have. Like James says, keeping oneself from being polluted by the world, because like the world would say the opposite. Like the world would say, like, no, 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 what you have is more important than who you are. Like your status, how people view you is based on the type of car you drive, the type of house you live in, the clothes that you wear. Like, no, 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 what you have is more important than who you are. So there's this, like, desire to fit in. But not only fit in, but also to be viewed as superior. But James would say that a Christian should view this from a completely different perspective. So I hope by now you are in James chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And look what he says. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? Well, will you join me as we open up in prayer this morning? Father, we are so grateful for today. 
Lord, we are just so grateful for the ability to gather here like this. Lord, we are grateful that you gave us air in our, lung, or you gave us air in our lungs this morning to sing your praises, to worship you. And Lord, I pray today as we talk about this problem, this problem of favoritism, Lord, I pray you give us the eyes to see it. I pray you give us the heart to, to change it and the knowledge to actually do it. Lord, I pray that you allow us to see people and view people as you view people. Lord, let us not judge someone based on just an outward appearance. But let us look deeper. And Lord, I pray today as we open up your word and you allow me to speak, as you give me breath to speak, I pray that you give me the words to speak. And Lord, I pray I say nothing that you do not want me to say. And Lord, we pray that your presence in our life continues to shape our lives, continues to change our lives, continues to grow our lives. Lord, let us look more and more like your son. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we are coming finally into chapter two. We are in chapter two, and maybe we'll finish it next year. Um, but we can go. This is, it's been a long process so far, but chapter two, we're coming into chapter two. Uh, and this message is probably, I'm going to probably split it up into a two part message. I'll finish it next week. Uh, but what James is going to be speaking on here is this problem of favoritism and partiality and how we see things and how we treat people. And it's very important to pay attention to the wording that James uses in, in chapter two. I mean, look what he says in verse one. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. If you are a underliner or like a highlighter in your Bible, uh, underline that, highlight that, must not show favoritism. And if you notice who he's speaking to, he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So James here is speaking to believers and telling them, do not show favoritism. Do not show partiality. And this word that James uses here for favoritism, it means like to receive a person. I mean, a closer translation of this could be to receive the face, to receive someone's face, to judge someone based on just the, the, the front appearance, judging by the face and looking nothing deeper. It's this idea of, of observing and judging based on someone's outward appearance. But as James would say, a believer must not show favoritism. Why? Because a believer should not be like the world. They should be like Christ. And in Christ, there is no partiality. I mean, you don't have to turn there, but, but in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, for God does not show favoritism. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Ephesians 6, 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Colossians 3.25. Anyone who does wrong will be, be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Friends, Jesus shows no favoritism. In Jesus, there is no partiality. And this is something that's pretty consistent that we can see throughout the life of Christ. We can see it through his earthly ministry in the Gospels. You know, Jesus was kind to a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. I mean, a Samaritan most Jews would hate. And she was also an outcast from her own community. She was getting water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. 
Why? Because she had five husbands and the man she was with wasn't her husband. Yet it was Jesus who showed her kindness. He was kind to this woman, yet he was also kind to a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3 in the darkness of night because he was confused. He had questions. Yet Jesus didn't turn him away. He showed him kindness. Jesus was on his way to a synagogue leader's house when a woman, an unclean woman, touched the hem of his robe. And Jesus turned around. Like some remarkable words in the New Testament. That Jesus turned around. This woman who would be unclean, she couldn't touch anyone, no one could touch her, had enough faith that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' robe that she would be healed. And Jesus turned around and she was healed. Jesus was gracious to a synagogue leader named Jairus. He was there for blind Bartimaeus just as well. He was there for the rich young ruler. Like friends, Jesus offered salvation to the poor and the outcast just as much as he did the scribe and Pharisee. And for those of us who are in Christ, we have been benefactors of his graciousness that he shows to both the high and low. And let me tell you, friend, when Christ called you, you were not put together. Yet Christ picked you up and showed you this unfathomable grace. Like he didn't judge you based on your outward appearance. So Christian, why should you judge someone based on theirs? See, this issue of favoritism. It was a problem when James wrote this letter. It's a problem today and really everywhere in between. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to look far. I mean, you can just do a quick you know, research of church history. And you'll see this sin of favoritism keep repeating itself. You know, like in the 1800s, the the Church of England became so snobby and elitist that it was completely inhospitable to your average man. So we have accounts in, in, in 1739, a preacher by the name of John Wesley would have to go out to the fields and cemeteries to preach the gospel. Because he knew that the gospel of Christ was for all not just the elite. And we have accounts of him in an open field preaching to 30,000 coal miners, preaching him the, the salvation that comes through Christ and the goodness of the gospel. And this was met with tears running down cold, darkened faces. Because the gospel was for all. So friends, we can't focus on image. We can't focus on appearance. Because when we do, we are going to be unable to avoid the actions and attitudes of partiality which is contrary to the gospel. So Christian, don't hold your faith with an attitude of partiality. Like we can't judge based on someone's face. And and according to James, our unity amongst the Christ followers has nothing to do with our face and has everything to do with our faith. So he gives us an example. Look what he says in in verse two of chapter two. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Friends, when we show favoritism, it reveals that we don't understand the gospel. Like when we show favoritism, we dishonor God. So James gives us this this scenario. We have a rich man who comes in like blinged out. 
Nice shoes, like a Rolex, rings, dressed in a way that advertises his status, advertises his wealth, and every head turns. And then another man comes in, and it looks like he hasn't showered in a few days. Torn clothes. Probably a lot of people are thinking, like, I hope he doesn't sit next to me. James here is creating this picture of these like polar opposites. We have Mr. Bling and Mr. Poor. And don't, don't, don't miss what James is saying here. It is not wrong to be poor or, or rich. And to treat a rich person badly is just as bad. But the point that James is trying to make is aimed at our personal reaction, our gut reaction to either man. Whether we have a reaction to the rich man or we have a reaction to the poor man. Because you see, like, for the poor man, like, it's easy to judge by the face and think, like, you know, he doesn't have any money. He has no status. He has a bad image. And, and something even worse to think is that he has no benefit to the body of Christ. That he has no benefit uh, to the Christians gathered there. And on the other hand, it is just as bad to see this rich man and think he has money, he has status, he has wealth. Like, he can benefit the church. So let's cater to him. Like, friends, when we show favoritism, it reveals we don't understand the gospel. Like, you remember when we were, like, kids? I don't know if you guys did this, but I did this all the time. But we would gather all the kids in the community, and we would go outside and play, like, football. And what we would do is everyone would gather, and you normally pick two team captains. Normally, it was the two best, like, athletes, or the two that are best at the sport we're playing would be the team captains. You know, sometimes it would be like the worst, worst kids would be the team captains. Um, but most of the time, it's, you know, these, these great athletes who are the team captains, and they would pick their team. And most of the time, like going into this, I, like I would always think I'm top three. But as we started playing football more, I started getting picked last. Because <laughs> like I was a big kid, I could level someone, but catching a football, like if someone threw the football to me, someone else better catch it. But we'd have, you know, these team captains, and these team captains would pick their teams, and they would try to pick the best kids on their team so that they could win. They needed the, the best team to win. They needed a team that was good enough to win. And like, here's the thing, friends. The church isn't like that. The gospel is, is not like that. Like, that is not how the gospel works. Like, God does not call us to himself based on how we can perform or how wealthy we are, or the skills that we have. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, like, well, Adam, I do have some skills. Like, like I do have some wealth. Like, I'm kind of awesome. Like, let me ask you a question. How many people have you seen come to know Christ based on your awesomeness? Uh, if you're being honest with yourself, it's zero. But this is the beauty of it. It is in us not being awesome that Christ is magnified. Like when Christ puts together his team, when Christ puts together his church, it is not because you are awesome. It is because he is awesome. Like this is, this is the motive. This is why we gather here like this. If the one thing that we, I want, I want you guys leaving with is how great God is. When Christ puts together this team, it is not because we are awesome. Like God, God does not judge us based on this outward appearance. So friend, why should we judge others based on theirs? Like why should we judge by the face? 
mean, because look, look what James says in verse four. He says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Like, like James calls it nothing less than sinful thinking. Like James calls it what it is, evil. Like it is evil to come into the body of redeemed sinners and begin to make all these classifications and distinctions that lead to favoritism. Because friends, favoritism is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. To judge someone based on their outward appearance, whether that's on their wealth or on their status. And that's not the only way that we judge people. That's not the only way that we show favoritism. I mean, we do this with education. You know, if someone has a bunch of letters behind their name or a fancy degree, like we're, a lot of times we're more inclined to show them different treatment. And James would say that's evil. That is sinful. Friends, we need to view people how Christ viewed people. You know, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew fishing. Some blue-collared fishermen trying to make some money. Rather unqualified to follow a rabbi. And Jesus says, follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed him. Later he sees James and John fishing with their father Zebedee. And he says, follow me. And they did the same thing. He calls a tax collector named Matthew, someone who most people would hate. Out of all the people Jesus could have chosen, he chose these type of people. Like these no names. Out of all of Jesus' disciples, all of Jesus' disciples except for Judas Iscariot were Galileans. They were like country boys. Four of them were fishermen. One was a hated tax collector. Not one of them was famous, noble, or well-connected. None of them were scribes, priests, elders, or rulers of their people. They were, as some would later call them, uneducated common men. But like, here's the thing. Jesus didn't look at their outward appearance and think, they're put together enough to follow me. And friend, he doesn't with you. So why should we do it with others? Because out of all of the places on earth, the church should be the one place where partiality and favoritism are wiped out. I mean, we see this issue in our culture. I mean, we can see it outside. Favoritism is valued. It wants to trickle its way into the church. A lot of people think that the Bible should change with the culture, but friend, the Bible should change the culture. We can't give in to this. Because who you are matters far more than what you have. And look at how, Jesus, look at how James continues. In verse 5, he says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen... Do you hear that urgency? He said, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So James here is talking about the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. And the gospel of Christ is especially precious to a poor person who has nothing. Like this idea that God would grant them eternal value and accept them based on their faith and not their face is incredible. But on the other hand, there is level ground at the foot of the cross. Like to think that we can come before the foot of the cross carrying our worldly possessions, our, our worldly achievements, our, our worldly status. <laughs> We're missing it. 
You know, it was Jesus who was born to a poor girl named Mary in some backwoods country. It was Jesus when, when he started his ministry, went to a synagogue in Nazareth, and this is what he said in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It was Jesus who, who opened his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, there's a spiritual poverty that one can walk in. And I want to be clear about what that is. Like a spiritual poverty is not you just have your head down and you're so downcast, like I can't find God. Like that's not what that means. But spiritual poverty is this meekness, this, this humbleness, this deep realization of your need for God. It's coming to the realization and the understanding that I have nothing to offer spiritually. I have nothing in and of myself that I can present before a holy and a righteous God. It is this meekness, this humbleness, this need for God. And friend, that's a really good thing. Because without it, it will lead to partiality. It will lead to wickedness. Like when we don't have that understanding, we show partiality. We think we're better than we really are. We think we're better than someone else and we will step out and we'll become our own little mini gods dispensing judgment based on our own like arbitrary standards. And friend, that is anti-gospel. Because look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, so, so going back to this, this analogy that James is, is bringing out in James chapter 2, to, to think that the rich man must be more important to the church than the poor man is anti-gospel. To, to think that, the, that, that God likes the rich guy more than the poor guy, that is anti-gospel. And to show favoritism to either one, friend, that's anti-Christian. Because there's level ground at the foot of the cross. And James has one more reason why who you are matters more than what you have. And we'll finish here in verses 6 and 7 of James chapter 2. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? 
So James here is saying, like, you know, in this time, the, the, the rich, he says they're blaspheming the name of God, whom you belong to, by the way. You know, why would you give the chief seat to one who dishonors God, who dishonors the one that you belong to? And I, I really want to focus on that last word, the last few words, him whom you belong to. Because when it comes to favoritism, don't forget that, Christian, that you belong to Christ. And like, here's the thing, like in his presence, everyone looks shabby. Like in the presence of Christ, like, like we all look dirty compared to his holiness. Like we all are hopeless without his hope. We all look homeless without his home. Like, how could we ever boast in anything other than Christ? Like, Christian, how could we boast in anything other than the one you belong to? You know, as we're closing, I want to invite the worship team back up here. Because, friend, compared to Christ, like, we are all common. Like, we are all common, ordinary clay pots. But this is the beauty of him whom you belong to. Like, this is the beauty of the gospel. Like, though we look shabby, we are called saints. Though we are dirty, we've been made clean through his blood. Though hopeless, he has granted us a hope. Though homeless, our inheritance is the kingdom of God. Though common, ordinary clay pots, he has chosen to pour his love and his mercy over us. Christian, we are not to show favoritism, but we are to be dispensers of love and grace to those around us. Because, hey, the church has room for one more broken person, doesn't it? So, Christian, as you leave today, ask yourself the question, if Christ is the Lord of my life, is he the Lord of how I view people? As we leave today, be reminded, Christian, that you are a benefactor of God's mercy. And to show favoritism is hypocritical to the grace that you have been shown. And be reminded that what we have does not compare to who we are in Christ. And that's the same for those around you. So will you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we are grateful that you chose us. We were homeless, that you gave us a home. Lord, I pray with this issue of favoritism that seems to keep repeating itself. Lord, I pray you give us eyes like yours. Let us see people the way that you see people. Lord, let us not judge someone by their face. Let us look at them with their faith. Lord, let us love. Let us be known for that. Lord, let us be representatives of you in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way that we treat people. Lord, I pray that's evident. And Lord, we are grateful for what you've done and what you continue to do. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.